This is Film Slob. Welcome to the show. Hey everybody, welcome back. I am C.R. Gonzalez here with Patrick Kelly. Hello. And today we have a very special guest. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Josh Calixto. I host a podcast about video games. It's called Bad End Podcast. Um, we are part of a larger network called Superculture. We basically talk about um, games, uh, comics, film, stuff like that, uh, that is in the realm of what we call the underobserved Um Partially because video games are such like a widely consumed medium, Mm -hmm. but uh, they don't get as much observation sometimes as they deserve. Like film has the entire like critical endeavor around it. Yes. Um, Video games don't really have structures like that. You don't really have video games that are getting the same amount of scrutiny. Um, And part of that, you know, it makes sense. Games are something that we have tend to see as something that we interface with Mm -hmm. at a kind of base level. Like you just play it to have fun. Like it's just games, man. And like, yeah, we totally recognize that. And we don't want to lose that sense that like games are fun yeah, and that it's fun to play games. Uh, But sometimes you want to talk about them at a little bit deeper of a level than that. And that's what our little community is about. So, yeah. I think it's interesting that there should, I think it's like a toxic environment surrounding games i think like gaming culture can be very toxic but the way you you bring it to the floor it's like very welcoming i think that's why i really responded to your podcast i've told you that before you were an inspiration behind this podcast i drunkenly told him that you weren't there patrick <laughs> um but just to make it accessible in a in a way and interesting uh, to to bring it i don't know not down a notch but to talk about it in a way that's not talked about, I don't know if you were like consciously aware of this toxicity or fighting against it in any sort of way, or do you even feel that way about video games? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like our show was kind of born amid that. And it was like, we wanted to be this voice that was kind of irreverent, like Chapo Trap House was really big at the time. And like, there's a lot, <laughs> there's obviously a lot of conversation surrounding that podcast now, Yeah, but it was like, the idea was just to be kind of like an irreverent voice uh, speaking with a bit of a different tone in ways that were critical and ways that like actually struck a chord with people. Mm-hmm. And like, I think when you talk about like it being open and welcoming and stuff like that, I feel like when people think about criticism, they think about just people just shitting on things that like everyone else. Likes, yeah. Right. A like, pretentious air. Yeah. Like the, the pitchfork complex or just like anytime you go to rotten tomatoes for a movie that you just watched and you really liked and it's got like a 20% and you're something oh, mm-hmm. so you're going to say like, Oh, critics suck. But, <laughs> um, it, to engage with something critically does not have to be that type of thing. Like it doesn't have to just be talking bad about something to me. Criticism is about like, understanding a work, understanding what makes it good, what mm-hmm. things that may not work about it, yes. uh, how it strikes a chord with you personally. And that's something that I think everyone can do. I think the thing that people think like everyone can just do criticism, like I could do what you do and just talk bad about something. Well, uh-huh. the whole thing that really helps with your ability to criticize work is the amount of context that you have around it. Yeah. Right. Which is like, I, how much do I know about what the influences behind this work are? Like these things help you to engage with, with a work on a deeper level. And that's not something that like everyone necessarily has, yeah. but that can help you to understand that thing at a deeper level. Th- those things are just as relevant when you're talking about video games as when you're talking about film. Uh, it's not like video games are created in a vacuum. Like there's tons of influences behind those things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them just never go observed because people just want to, shoot stuff and press square a lot which is cool but yeah and as a storytelling medium video games like there there are certain video games that 
have affected me more than, you know, like great novels or great movies like, uh, like Metal Gear Solid 2, like that video, that story, like it's so good. Um, oh or, yeah. You know, some of the, some of the older like Final Fantasy games growing up, um, that's, that's kind of like reading a, a novel, you know, and uh, it, yeah. just as a storytelling medium. It takes guys. as much time as well. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Metal Gear Solid 2 being a game by a directed by this guy Hideo Kojima, mm-hmm. who's like one of the big video game auteurs, one of the, probably one of the few that we have actually. Mm-hmm. Totally wild, really really influenced by film. Kojima has said as much, but it, it's basically like what if we gave this guy just free reign to make whatever the hell he wants? Yeah. And he just ran with it and just mm-hmm. made just the wildest thing he could possibly imagine influenced Bill. Like, you know, war films, espionage, spy stuff, all that stuff is in there. And it, it is just nuts. Yeah. 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 Mimetics and AI and, and like just the craziest stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Conspiracy <laughs> theories. Yeah. It, it's, it's all in there. Just anything that he felt like engaging with at that particular moment he put in this video game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a weird, it's a weird one. And it came out when I was in middle school. So yeah. if you could just think of like engaging with something like that at that time and just like letting it wash over you, it's. I absolutely remember that. I remember uh, like toward the end of Metal Gear where they start talking to you directly about mm-hmm. like how yeah. long you've been playing. Like maybe you should turn off the game. It's me. You've been playing for hours. <laughs> but I haven't hit a save point in a while. <laughs> that, that would really freak me out. Yeah. But video games as a social medium is very interesting to me too. I think Patrick and I share that. Um, one night we were in Zion and under substances and Patrick had a perfect run at Hades. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Everything was falling into place. <laughs> It is a great feeling, but I think this all ties into the movie we're talking about today. Um, As far as being uh, social, being um, something that a lot of work is put behind, it's not just like one uh, single person working. And I say this because we're talking about Speed Racer, and this is by the Wachowskis, and they kind of shit on the idea of the auteur. Like they like they're not about it. They refute Mm -hmm. that idea. like no, a filmmaking is such like a social process that it's just not. It just can't be one person. What you're seeing on the screen is 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 the result of just mm. dozens, hundreds of people, even, and you, you can't get that one from one person. And also the idea of uh, you know uh, being a critic, uh, it involves a lot of love, and people are very hesitant to like praise things in a way. I notice this a lot. Like I'm I'm on I'm on Letterbox all the time, and I am often frustrated by the fact that people like are afraid to give like five stars to movies. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> like it's supposed to be some sacred thing, but I mean, I mean like, yes, y- yes, that's not cheap in that experience, but also, I mean, you shouldn't be afraid to like love something like deeply and fully. If, if you're into it, that's at least my philosophy. Like I'll, I'll be giving away five stars like crazy. This, this movie was, <laughs> was kind of panned uh, when it came out. Right. I, I, I didn't see it when this it came is ex- out. Yeah, exactly why yeah. this is relevant. I think. Okay. Yeah. But I want to push back on that because yeah, please, I, I don't think that it's a problem to like openly really love things. Yeah. And I think that that's a good thing. I think that it's just, you need to like, oftentimes when you love something, yeah, you have a lot harder of a time talking about that thing yeah and talking about why you love it because when you have that kind of response to something oftentimes it's this really like primal thing that like it it hits you it strikes this really personal chord yeah that is just when you try to relate that to someone else Mm -hmm. it loses a lot of its power it doesn't really mean much right Mm -hmm. yeah and maybe you don't even know precisely why you love it so much exactly Yeah. yeah 
I think that if you really, really love something and you have like a thousand reasons why that can back it up as something that is like, this is like worthy of being loved at this level by other people. Yeah. Um, then I, I feel like less people would have a problem with doing that. And that's how I feel about speed racer. Uh-huh. Um, which is one of the reasons why I chose it for the show. I mean, I can go into that a little bit more after this, Yeah. but, um, yeah, it, it's about like, I think if you can explain that, that's then, yeah, go ahead by all means, love it. And mm-hmm. even if you can't explain it, like there, nobody's going to stop you from like liking this thing you like, even if Pitchfork disagrees, <laughs> even if some guy, you know, Jonathan Gold doesn't like the restaurant that you really like. Um, it, it doesn't matter because like that they have their opinion, you have yours and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But it, it's about like, how are you able to engage with that thing? And when we're talking about criticism, which is a conversation, yeah. like obviously you have more to contribute if you have something to say and explain how you felt about something. Yeah. And it's particularly um, convincing if that kind of thing is relatable to other people. Definitely. Yeah. Something about the capacity to organize your thoughts in a way that means something to other people instead of just like, oh, that badass or something. Yeah. Um, So why Speed Racer? Oh, okay. So Speed Racer is one where there's like, there's a bit of a story behind this movie, I guess. It came out in 2008. Yeah. At the time I was a college freshman, I think, or like an early college sophomore. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I went to the movies with friends. I was going to school in Chicago. Mm-hmm. We went to Navy Pier, which is like, it's basically like the universal city walk sort of, of Chicago. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we went there, we went to this theater, we saw it in IMAX, was really looking forward to it, didn't really know what to expect. And watching this thing in the theater was like absolutely zero experience I had ever had before. <laughs> yeah. And when I think it is especially appealing at that age, when it's just like, colors and like just bright lights shining on you and it's influenced by anime which was like not something that we got a whole lot of at that time Mm -hmm. um it was a wachowski uh siblings movie um so like there was just all these things kind of coming together in this perfect storm that coalesced into me absolutely losing my shit at the end of that movie. <laughs> I looked over, I was with my buddy, Zach, and he was like curled up into a ball in his seat. Like, his feet were on the chair like this, and he was like holding his legs to his body. You guys' pupils are all dilated. And like, oh my God. Pretty much. And I was, I was in the same position. Like I wasn't sitting like that, but I was like, I totally get yeah. why he's doing this. And the, the climax happens. They're showing these like kaleidoscopic images yeah. on screen. Mm-hmm. The cars explode into a million little pieces of metal and shrapnel. <laughs> and I like, I almost got up out of my chair and like, started <laughs> cheering right then and there. It was like, it was one of the most powerful experiences I've had at yeah. the movies. Um, and one of the most like just visceral, exp- like just reactions that I've had yeah. to seeing something like yeah. that. You know, when you have that type of experience with something, it's like, it's easy to remember it as like something that you really love. Right. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, everyone hated it afterwards, or at least, like, critically, it got it got panned. Yeah. Did that um, kind of tinge your feelings of, about it? Not not really. I was like, these people are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, I wasn't really engaging with things critically either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I had that initial response, and I, I didn't really care which... I, I stand by. I, I don't think that you need to care about that type of thing necessarily. But um, I, I did wonder like why did i like this movie so much was it just was it just because i liked that those colors was yeah. it like i'm an anime guy uh-huh. like, what what is it that is really resonating with me about this movie so i have actually revisited this movie multiple times over the years mm-hmm. 
Um, and it has been, well, it's been probably like six or seven years since I've seen Speed Racer at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched it for the show. And every time I like kind of come back and reassess it, it takes on some new form. Yeah. And watching it this time around, I got a lot of different things out yes. of it than I did at mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. That's for damn sure. And uh, that's, I'm glad to get the chance to talk about it here because of the way that it's really kind of warped in my mind over the time, over time and just how much my perspective has changed on this movie. Yeah. So, yeah. So you say you're an anime guy. Were you making those connections as you were watching this movie? I know it's a very visceral response at first. Like, did you see that right away? Cause I don't think I noticed visually what was happening as I was watching it for the first time. This was many years ago. I don't know. Like I, I think it's a, in a certain way it could wash over you, even though it's like so distinct, but were you making those connections? Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously, the for those who are not aware, Speed Racer was an anime. Yeah. Um, and an it, old one, right? Like a, yeah. a 1960s, something like that. Yeah, it's it's an older anime. Um, like my mom watched it growing up. And um, so that that's a bit of the context about it. But the movie, you're right, it does not, like, it's not one of those things where when you're watching about it, watching it you're like, oh, this is totally based on an anime. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I think, uh, it, like Patrick said, you sent us those readings about this. And without that, I think I might have missed what was really happening there, yeah. you know, uh, or not really happening, but the amount of ingenuity and creativity that was happening with the aesthetic of it. Yeah, particularly uh, all of the deep focus, all of the, you know, um, figures in the background being in focus with the figures in the foreground at the same time. Yeah, I could see that being <clears throat> a very interesting way to um, capture the effect of, of, of a cartoon because, mm-hmm. right? you know, in a cartoon, you'll have figures in the background and in the foreground, and obviously they'll both be in focus mm-hmm. um, as drawn figures. Um, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad I read that article uh, before watching the movie because, yeah. you know, point that was uh, very much apparent to me going through the movie. But the yeah. first word that came to mind when I started watching it this time yesterday, two days ago, was uh, kinetic. Like, that's the very first thing that came to mind mm-hmm. uh, from that first scene, that opening scene. There's like two things happening at once. There's like a present and a past happening where he's racing the ghost of his brother. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Reminded me of a video game, like very much like a racing game. Like you've got the ghost car that you're chasing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the context is that I, I sent these to an article yeah. um, that was published, you know, I, I don't remember. I think it was like 2013, uh-huh. 2014 or something like that. And at the time it was like the only thing that I had seen about this and it, it's actually like not findable anymore. This guy actually had to republish the piece on his own personal blog. Mm. I couldn't find it. Yeah. Um, and I, I just so happened to find this guy's like Twitter and I went to his blog and I found it and it, it's interesting oh, okay. because he's posting, like he's putting actual gifts from the movie side by side with like their influences. I loved that. Yes. Um, which is something yeah, you don't get a lot when you see um, just notes on form and where the influence is actually coming from. You mm-hmm. have people who say like, oh, this is influenced by like this Dutch angle from so-and-so movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. But this article, like it's really digging into that stuff. And he's talking about how the movie is very much influenced by animation as a form itself, which um, as Patrick was talking about, it's like you had this technology of, of animation, which some would see as a shortcoming at the time, um, way back in the day when Speed Racer came out as being like, you know, early stages of animation still, um, which is that you would have these like images and you had a background, which was like essentially behind them so that this made the animation process easier. You could have like a background and you wouldn't have to like 
redraw that for every frame or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then you can just animate your characters playing in the foreground. So you have this background. You you see this in like Sleeping Beauty or any like Disney movie of that era, like the princess films and stuff like that, mm -hmm. where um, you have these backgrounds that are just like always in focus. And then you have like your characters in the foreground and they're in focus too. So mm -hmm. you, you typically have this like depth of field effect where you're looking at the character that's like right in front of you. And then you have the, the somewhat blurred background. Mm -hmm. um, there, you know, there's a lot of like technical jargon and shit, but that's like the basic idea of this. But Speed Racer is like very purposely made so that like there's basically none of that. Like it, they have this like infinite focus thing yeah. where you can see the background in perfect mm. focus. And yeah. You see the characters in the foreground in perfect focus. Mm -hmm. And it's not really something that you would observe or understand unless you were just, unless like you knew that this is what they were actually doing. Yeah. And like the process that goes into that was like a technical marvel. Like the things that they had to do to get this effect were just absolutely wild. Um, so that, that's just like one thing about this movie that is just so amazing. And one thing that I noticed is that like this movie is from 2008. Mm -hmm. It does. It looks like it could have come out yesterday. Yeah. Or like it's incredible in, um, in five years Yeah, from now. The way it's made, I think it makes it timeless in a way. Um, I mean, the colors and it, it, it's this perfect blend of the future and, and the past. Um, and in a way, it makes it timeless. It, it would be hard to place it. Like if you just showed this movie and didn't tell me who made it or uh, what time, I, I don't think I'd be able to guess. Yeah, it's not timeless in the sense that that it like it holds up over time. It's timeless in the sense that like it does not seem to belong in any era. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it, that's that's like exactly right, because it's like. They're not on a timeline of like progression and, and like CGI technology and stuff like that. They're doing something that's like just hasn't been done before or since really. Like, yeah, all of these techniques, like I think the, so much green screen, so much deep focus, yeah. so much flattening and so much. I like, think the closest cousin color. to this is Sin City. I don't know what you, either of you think about that, but I think Sin City might have been using some similar techniques. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the, pretty much the only film. I don't know if you have any other references about like a film that is doing this i mean it's easy to th i mean th there's more similarities beyond that right which is that like sin city is based on graphic oh, graphic yeah. novels exactly yeah so they are both taking from that space right mm -hmm. um so i i definitely understand the comparisons there they're both like widely shot on in front of green screens mm -hmm. there's a lot of just like actors that are clearly like they're not in a space with each other it's just like a green screen <laughs> yeah. room um, which which affects the feel of the movie a lot of times. Like a lot of it feels manufactured. A lot of it feels kind of fake. Yeah. Which is something that I definitely mm -hmm. observed a bit more this time around. I think like when you're not watching on a big screen, like when it's a smaller screen, mm -hmm. and that effect kind of, it, it becomes more apparent. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's a solid comparison between the two. I, I don't know if that like really colors the way that I see the film. And I think like Speed Racer is doing other things things with its form i think so too um, i will say that like talking about anime is weird with this movie because when we think about anime we think about like a lot of the modern tropes of anime like mm -hmm. just kind of weird things that have kind of come up with anime over time but at that time back in the day like speed racer looks very similar to what you might have found in like a western cartoon mm -hmm. of the year as far yeah. as like like a like, Hanna-Barbera cartoon or something yeah as yeah. far as like the the look and the kind of technology they were using like there weren't too many differences like Speed Racer had the kind of like anime eyes type of type of uh art style to it mm -hmm. um but besides that it felt more like a western animation 
And um, I think what it really takes from the anime thing is just like a lot of the tone, a lot of the like the cheesy like naming conventions yeah. and a lot of the like suspension of dis- disbelief that you have to do when you're watching this thing. Mm-hmm. And when they translate that into a live action form, yeah. the real challenge is that like these things are made for a kid's cartoon mm-hmm. and they have to play them fully straight in the context of a live action motion picture, which is like speed racers name is literally speed racer. Like yeah. his first name <laughs> is Speed. His last name is Racer. And it's like, they just say Speed Racer in the yeah. show. Like, get out of here, Speed. And it's like, you just you just have to accept that. And the parents are mom, mom and pop. Right? Yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah. I, yeah. Pops. What do you mean by anime eyes? Um, just like the the look of what anime characters' eyes like, look like. Oh, like the oh, like I I thought giant, you were referring to the whole aesthetic of anime. Like, oh, we're looking at through this uh, yeah. anime no. eyes, the giant <laughs> wet looking eyes, that the are eyes. Glinting. Yeah. I, oh, I okay. Got that gleam. Yeah. And shape. Okay. Yeah. I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be like interested. A, it's just a convention. Yeah. It's like a. It's just a convention of the style of the form. Yeah. I watched yeah. Uh, Akira. F- um, to pair with this because I wanted to pair with something and think about it. And <clears throat> I think you can like plainly see the connections. I mean, I, I, I obviously like Akira isn't the only anime that does what it's doing, but the Wachowskis talk about cubism and Picasso and getting multiple perspectives at once. And Akira very much does this with its city landscapes and it lets the city loom large in many of the frames. Like it's threatening, like it's a character, like, it's not only a character, but a backdrop. Like they can't kind of escape this. Like even if it's just in the small corner of a screen, the city's still like looming large over everybody. And that's what I was thinking about. Are there any other um, anime adaptations? I guess live live action adaptations of uh, anime that that work as well as this one because it seems to be attempted a lot. Doesn't work out very often. I'm thinking like Dragon Ball Z and Full Metal Alchemist. I mean, I think <laughs> I think the <laughs> argument could be made that this one doesn't. Okay, like I'm kind of I am floored by the style. I I see that they're breaking many conventions. I love that. I love the the daring quality of the aesthetics. I love that they're just doing. I felt I felt like a boring person watching this. You know what I mean? Mm. I felt like I could never be so bold as to break so many conventions. But even at the end, I was like, I'm not sure that this is a movie that I like. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, like I, I would watch it again. I'm excited about this movie, but I'm, <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it, what do you, what do you say to that? <laughs> it, it was like a, a bold approach. Like um, it is a bold approach. Yeah. Like I, I, I just love the idea of seeing all these thing and it, it just feels like a fuck you, but like, it feels like the witch house are always on that fuck you level mm-hmm. on that. We're not going to do what you want us to do. And yeah, cause even in the context of their careers, yeah. like and this was a, a departure and, and they had already made the matrix trilogy and, and imagine, that. yes. Imagine creating an aesthetic cause yeah. they created an aesthetic with the matrix, which has mm-hmm. been copied. And you know, one can argue that it's still being copied. It's in the DNA of American cinema still today. Um, and then they go and switch it up like that. I mean, bold move. Obviously. Yeah. Did you hear um, Lana Wachowski when she was like giving the first footage to WB and they were like, what the hell is this? Yeah. For Speed Racer. Yeah. And, uh, she said that they had said something like, what the hell are you doing? This is the wildest thing I've ever seen. Or this is just crazy. And, uh, and she was like, yeah, that's why we're doing it. It's Josh, like, do you think this is a good movie? <laughs> and like, obviously you do, but 
What does that even mean? Like, what does the concept of a good movie mean to you? Share your thoughts on this. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I can say, like, I definitely understand why someone would not like this movie. Yeah. Um, it is not for everyone. I think it's, it's maximalist. Uh, yeah. It, it does not hold anything back. The saturation levels are turned up to like blinding levels. Mm -hmm. Even this most recent time when I was watching it, like maybe I'm just getting old, but I was definitely at the beginning of the movie. I was like, this is too fucking much. <laughs> like, I don't know if I can handle this movie right now. Like, yeah. It is, it never lets go of you from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. like, and it's even while, even like these moments that you would think would be quiet or like just moments of transitioning between scene to scene. Like it, even then it's not slowing down. Um, there was this interview, I think, with Lana, but they're, uh, they were describing the movie as like a run-on sentence and the way that it's cut yeah, together. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. Is very much like it's just one statement that never ends. There's no, like, the cutting is very unconventional in that, like, you have a lot of, like, uh, essentially, like, like, screen wipes that are, like, transitioning from scene to scene. Mm -hmm. You have characters that are, like, looking at themselves in the past or, like, a transition will transition you into, like, a character's thoughts about, like, scenes that already happened. Mm -hmm. um, you'll be shown flashbacks, like, as something else is happening in front of your eyes. But what is really interesting to me is that it, it reminded me of Mad Max, actually. Me too. In that it mm -hmm. is very frenetic, Mm -hmm. but you always understand what is happening mm -hmm. on the screen in front of you, which is kind of a technical accomplishment when you think about it. It is. Yeah. I think people underestimate how difficult it is to do that. Like the amount of just work that you have to do to get a scene to look visually coherent mm -hmm. in the context of like what's actually happening in speed racer is absolutely bonkers. Like there, there will be like multiple times time frames, And then like, uh, some of them are really cartoony, silly things right? mm -hmm. where it's like you got this like bokeh that's that's like heart shaped in the background yeah. and like a love scene. And but stuff I love like that. I actually really like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy. It's cute. It's it's yeah. like it's very childish. Yeah. But I think that lets the movie explore these uh, aesthetic, I guess, experiments mm -hmm. that are, are just things that you wouldn't really see anywhere else. And I think that it's it's also childish. So it's childish in its inventiveness. But it's also childish in that, like, it's really fucking saccharine and really sweet and hard to swallow. Yeah. And, cre um, and just essentially creative. Like, um, like Speed fantasizing about being a race car driver when he's a kid. Yeah. And, you know, he creates a little cartoon um, on his test and, mm -hmm. and then, you know, is inside the race car, big colorful drawing with, like, the squiggly lines, like it's a kid's drawing. And, yeah. yeah. And that scene just doesn't stop from then and out. I mm -hmm. mean... It goes and it goes from there. I think childishness is not something I would hold against this film. It's not, but what I what I do kind of hold against it now, which is something that I've definitely observed this time around, is that it's like a kids movie made by people who are very much not kids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, like the Wachowskis, like their their like sense of what kids will find funny is like just what they saw in like some fucking Saturday morning cartoon. That is not like what the kids now are laughing at. Yeah. Like it feels very out of touch with what like actual kids like, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, and they were, they were hired and wanted to make this like family friendly movie and they couldn't, you know? The, yeah. And they the made people a, who made the matrix and they couldn't help but put a gunfight scene at the end of that. And uh, it's more than two hours long. <laughs> kids aren't watching a movie for yeah. more than two hours long. Right. I don't like, I don't think it's a kid's movie, but I think many factors about this movie wouldn't say otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, 
but like I said, childishness is not something I want to hold on length. Yes, I think this movie is too long, but it got me excited about several concepts. It, it got me excited about just the idea of, of, of boldness, but it also got me thinking about the way, I, I think Lana talked about this, like the way people find shame in liking things that are like have a little bit too much whimsy or something like that. And the thing that comes to mind is like musicals. I think people find musicals um, either cheesy or offensive um, because if you like that, that's inherently saying something about your own personality that you're either like goofy <laughs> or cheesy or offensive. And this got me, I don't know, thinking about this because this is like unabashedly its own thing. And, and I think that, that um, it makes people angry to kind of upset their sensibilities in, in, in a certain mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And maybe I don't, no, if I think this movie is a good movie, but I know that I'm still going to be thinking about this movie in probably a few more days or, you know, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's got something stirring in me. Um, do you guys want to talk about scenes? I mean, there's, there's several in this, but, um, what's like the first thing that comes to mind? I know Patrick, you have a list if you want to go over something. Yeah, I, uh, I really like the scene with, uh, Spritle and Chim Chim when they're watching anime together in the morning when they're just waking up. Mm. Um, yeah, and they become part of it. Yeah, they become part of it. You see like the motion lines and stuff like that, and they they basically become the characters and they're having this fight. Uh-huh. Um, I really love that. I, I have no idea if that's a real anime. Like, if, is that a real show or do they just so. create that I, for the movie? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they just made it for the. That's one of those scenes. Like everything with Chim Chim and Spritle is like one of those things where I, I, I've just. I'm just looking at this movie like they, they do not know what kids like what yeah. kids watching this movie like. It's, their, yeah. it's like their idea of what yeah. a kid would find funny. Yeah, I find Sp- it hilarious. And Spritle <laughs> talks with this like he he talks like one of those kids who was like raised by their grandparents or something like that. Where it's yeah, just like, like a 1940s kid who was like, oh, I got my eye on you, I, mister. Yeah. <laughs> like all he watched yeah. was like the Christmas story, like his whole life. Yeah. It's like, I, leave it to beavers. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I do like how Spider looks like a little John Goodman. I think they look related. Yeah. Don't they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this yeah. kid is perfect for this. Rex and racer. I don't know though. Mm-hmm. Somebody else. <laughs> that was, I could see it. Um, I like the twist untwist uh, like uh, you know like you know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the movie's like like pointing you toward the idea that Racer X is Rex Racer but, oh man and then they're I, like I'm not him yeah. and then at the end they're like oh, it really was <laughs> that was a real that was a nitpick of mine it's like why why that you know like Racer uh, Speed Racer figures it out confronts him about it yeah and he's like no I'm not I, your brother's actually okay good. again i think were, <laughs> i think i didn't hate about the movie is it's it, it, there's this mischievous quality uh, about the structure and the, the build of this movie and i think that's like an aspect of that like the you know that makes rex kind of hard to believe for me it's like you would do that to your brother like you would uh you kind of he made he made hints he left breadcrumbs i think for, i think the movie is pointing you toward yeah. that the movie yeah. wants you to know that it's his brother mm-hmm. i don't think they're hiding that i, I can't pick and like, there's hints. There's yeah. definitely hints. And I, yeah. I think uh, uh, Racer X actually leaves some hints, right? Like, doesn't he say something about like, listen to the car, you know? And it's like, I mean, there's that, like, and then he he knows where speed is gonna be. You mm, know, he's yeah. like, oh, how'd you know I was gonna be here? Like, right. obviously it's his brother. So it is kind of shocking when they when, reveal that it's not his brother. But then it's like, oh, it is. Yeah. You're yeah. Just- <laughs> but it's like. Okay, if we're going to look at the plot from like a whether or not it makes sense standpoint, like <laughs> that's one thing, but you can also, 
it's it's pulp, right? It's yeah. it's the serialized abstraction of like how anime episodic uh, anime works where it's like you got these cliffhangers you got these twists you got this thing that was probably like a loose thread that started 10 episodes ago uh-huh. that they decide to like throw mm-hmm. another twist yeah. at you here because like it's it's another like fun ending to an episode um that's how i i read that those sequences as this and i think a lot of stuff is like we're not doing this because it makes sense we're doing this because it makes you feel something Mm -hmm. this makes you feel that like bittersweet sense that like they were always like just an arm's length apart and i think that might be what you're talking about with this thing that this like whimsy thing where Mm -hmm. it's like it's this these plot points that don't feel like they need to justify themselves yeah but they make you feel they're just there to make you feel that sense of like you know this this bittersweet feeling that you have uh and then you know, you have these scenes that are like only there to fucking pump you up. You have these scenes that are only there to like get you pissed at the bad guy. Yeah, it's like wrestling or something. Like, there's a lot of pageantry behind. Oh it. yeah, the uh, the corporate guy is such a heel. Yeah, like when yeah. Uh, Royalton, Royalton, when he finally um, like shows his true character. Right when he he realizes Speed is not going to sign the contract. He's like, this is a scene I want to talk oh, about. Yeah, too. yeah, go for um, it. I mean, he's he's yeah. This is kind of like at the crux of what I want to talk about with like how I see the movie now and what the stuff that I got out of it on this go around actually. Uh-huh. So I, I guess let, let, let's pick apart this scene. Okay. Burns knew he was going to win. It was already decided. A week before the pre, Goldman and Cirrus met with several other major players at the Cargyle Hotel. They met there as they had for years. They met to negotiate the finish order of the Grand Prix. No race is more important, and no race is more controlled. That year, Goldman was supposed to win, but he knew that if he sold his win to Cirrus, whatever that win might be worth was nothing compared to what could be gained. That's why I spent three million dollars on this burnt and twisted lump of metal, because it reminds me of what really matters. This is the true heart of racing, boy. Okay, and and this is like the first time that I actually understood the fucking plot of what happens in, in this, <laughs> like I've seen this movie at least a dozen times yeah. and I never this time I was watching it I was like oh that's what he's saying here yeah. like I always absorbed it as like it was always rigged dude yeah like mm-hmm. it was never fun, like cool to do racing uh-huh. like it, it's corporation um, but like always in those vague abstract terms but like the specificity of what's actually happening in this sequence is like it, it's it's interest it's telling mm-hmm. to me about like what they're actually trying to say with the movie and I'm like what, what was your interpretation of like what what's happening in this scene like if you were to just describe the plot of what Royalton is talking about in this speech sorry to put you on the spot no it's okay what what is happening about the races being fixed yes when he talked the forty three pre, the forty three pre. Oh, and how they knew who was going to win. Yes, I don't know. Like uh, anything around his character is based in this like vaguely anti capitalist message of the movie, which I think is definitely a thing. I I, I don't know the the thing I got from that is like anything could be bought, so just let it happen. Okay, so, so that this is exactly like what I have kind of like observed about this movie this time around. It's like, there's this whole part where he's like going up to this crumbled, like fucked up engine in front of him. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he starts like caressing it. And he's like, this is what racing is all about. Yeah. That is the 
mangled corpse of this car that crashed in the 43 pre uh -huh. that w did not belong to the winner. It didn't belong to the second place finisher uh -huh. who were supposed to be rivals. Right. Uh -huh. And that is what speed and his dad built. Like that's how they came back from his speeds brothers slash pops, his son's death Yeah, was like, they saw this race and it inspired them this rivalry between two people. And they like, that was the beauty of racing to them. And so Royalton review reveals that the race was fixed mm -hmm. and that like, they didn't actually have hate each other. Yeah. Speed actually talks to uh, Ben Burns, the the guy who won that race. Yeah. He's like, Oh, everyone thought we hated each other. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what he like, like saying to the scene. I thought, I thought that was great. So yeah. it, like that, I always took it as like that scene's just about like the race was rigged. Like it, it's not, nothing is real, mm -hmm. but it's not just that. Like he's talking about this other car that crashed, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that car crashing caused the stock prices of these companies behind them. It actually caused the company of the, the car that crashed that, that company's stock actually counterintuitively went, it, it shot up really high. Uh-huh. Um, after that, like, and it, it led to all these moves in the stock market that were rigged. And so it wasn't just the race that was rigged. Yeah. It was that like this car crashing, the results of the race, they were all just there as like a marketing maneuver. Mm -hmm. It's all PR. Yeah. Like it's, it's the thing that is just there to, to make money for these larger companies. Mm -hmm. And the narratives are only there to like, to move parts. They're only there. It's like the the medieval marriage or something like that. Where mm -hmm. It's like marriage is not about love. It's about like, it's a, it's like a, an intrigue political tool used to uh, like leverage your family's influence and align yourself with other parties. Mm -hmm. And that is what he says racing is all about. Like yeah. to him, everyone is just a chess piece. Every and speed's whole thing. The racer family's whole thing is that like racing is not it. There's a there's a soul to it. It's about like doing what I love. It's about like pursuing this thing that I yeah. feel really passionately about, and like pursuing that with everything that I have, even if it's going to cost me like my own reputation, my family, my life. It doesn't matter. Like I'm going to like pursue this thing because I love it. Mm -hmm. Whether you're trying to whether you're trying to use me as your pawn, like I'm not going to let you do that. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have this scene later on where Speed is talking with Susan Sarandon, his mom. Who, by the way, John Goodman and Susan Sarandon in this movie, excellent, unbelievably good. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. their performances are like so fucking good, and like, and it's funny because like everyone else kind of sucks in the movie, um, <laughs> except for Chim Chim. I did not realize that Christina Ricci is just like the perfect anime girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she, she does a good job. Um, but he has this scene where his mom, where she's talking about how she sees his racing as art. Mm. Yeah, speed. When I watch you do some of the things you do, I feel like I'm watching someone paint or, or make music. I go to the races to watch you make art. And it's beautiful and inspiring and everything that art should be. Even though there are times when I have to close my eyes. But then there are other times just take my breath away. And it's at those moments when I feel your father's chest swell and I know that he's smiling because he's pretending that he doesn't have tears in his eyes. 
Then I just go to pieces. Why? Because I'm so impossibly proud to be your mom. She, she doesn't see him as like driving a car. It's like he's making art. Yeah. He says that like explicitly, which is when, you, okay, when you like do the transitive property here, we're talking about art versus capitalist interests. Yeah. Creating art under capitalism is what this movie is literally about. Like it sounds corny to say like speed racer and capitalism, but literally this is the point of the movie. It's like yeah. in the script. Yeah. It's like, this is literally what they're talking about. Uh, yeah. It's like the heart of the movie. And when you think about that in context of like what this movie is and what place it has taken in history, mm -hmm. especially in the larger body of work of what the Wachowskis have done, like, doesn't it just hit you on this other level of like, it's art is about like pursuing the things that drive you. Art is about yeah. doing what you want. And you have all these corporate interests out there that just want to use your thing to make dollars. Like mm -hmm. it, even if you win, you are a capitalist. You are acting because of people who are moving the chess pieces. Yeah. Like, that's a very large part of this movie. Like mm -hmm. it's not about winning or losing. Like it's like losing. Yeah, sure. Like that sucks. It, we always take it as like, it sucks to lose because of capitalism. But this movie is also saying like, it sucks to win because of capitalism. And this is, <laughs> this is a Wachowski siblings who are coming off of like the massively successful Matrix franchise. Yeah. Given carte blanche to make whatever they want. And they make Speed Racer, which is like, you know, we're going to pursue our part artistic love. We're going to pursue these things that just like make us feel good to do, which is like, we're going to dedicate insane amounts of time to like, replicating the look and feel of anime mm -hmm. for a kid's movie when we don't even know how to make a kid's movie. And it's like, they're just doing it because they like it. And that comes across in every scene, like that the people who made this movie love what they're doing and that they want to just like try something different. And they're like pursuing this artistic impulse to wherever it takes them. Yeah. And they do not care what the corporate interests think even if they win. Yes. Yeah, and that, that uh, concept is continued with uh, Speed and his alliance with that other driver, right? They're going to they're gonna form an alliance to bring down the, the uh, big corporate, evil, evil corporate guy. And yeah, it yeah, turns yeah. out that the other driver, driver double crosses him so that they can, they can parlay this situation into a higher stock price for their company. You exactly. Know? You know, even though like he's torn about it at the very end, like he's not, he doesn't participate in the pre, mm -hmm. um, but he's, he's rooting for speed. Right. Yes. Like, and that's, um, and that's the, that's the other thing too. And that's like what really factors into why the ending of this movie works so well is because down, like deep down, everyone is rooting against the uh, yeah, against this the is corporation a, yeah it's um it's it's art versus capitalism but it's also like good versus evil you know yeah. and it's kind of messy because i think that the other drive like the other driver that speed has the alliance with is mm -hmm. like a really really good example of that yeah uh, he's he's torn he's stuck in the middle of that i just want to make a quick note on the, the like the deftness of the screenwriting the wachowskis like to introduce you to the things they're going to talk about um, or the things you're going to see. So at the beginning of The Matrix, you get the code coming down the screen. Mm. It's the first thing you see. At the beginning of this movie, you get the kaleidoscope. They're like preparing you for this. But uh, as far as this like anti-capitalist sentiment, they prepare you for this with this quick little scene about the pancakes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Susan and Tarantin's pancakes. And that's... Mm -hmm. Basically, the message of the movie and like this little micro interaction between Royalton and the mom. Gorgeous, Mrs. Racer. 
superb density. Hints of vanilla, cinnamon. That's right. Absolutely gorgeous. Well, I'm glad you like them. Like them? I want to buy your recipe. <laughs> I'll give you the recipe, Mr. Royalton. <laughs> Nonsense. Sinestro Foods, a subdivision of Royalton Industries, is planning a new range of home-cooked meals for travelers, and this is just the kind of magic we're looking for. I'll have my attorney draw up the paperwork. Mm. Yeah. Oh, right, how he buys the... He uh, wants to buy her pancakes. Yeah, he's like, yeah, these are delicious. And then he's like, oh, you must give me, you know, give me the recipe. And she's like, oh, I'll just give it to you. And he's like, I'll pay for it. I'm drawing up the contract. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, they kind of like sum up what's going to happen in the whole movie and this like micro interaction and the fact that he says pancakes for love. And that's what you were talking about, like this love of racing. You know, obviously, like, pancakes, very simple, indulgent, comfortable food. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, instantly his idea is to capitalize on it. Yeah. And so this is a bit more half baked, but um, <laughs> so, so apologies for that. But like, I was also thinking that um, you know, if we use the machine, the car, as like a metaphor for art, mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting lens mm-hmm. that is being used in this movie because that's not the first place you go when mm-hmm. you think about art, right? Like, we using like the act of driving a car Mm -hmm. and understanding this machine. Like this is a very intimate thing that is, that's a pretty significant part of this movie, right? A lot of it is about like, what does she want? Like, what Mm, does the car want? And Speed Racer (laughs) is like sitting there with his eyes closed in a car and it's broken in a very specific way. And then like you hear his dad and and the the mechanic Sparky talking about it. And they're like, do you think he'll know how to fix that? And then, like, and then he just moves his <laughs> four pedals over to the left for yeah. some reason. It's got this like is five the pedals. stupid thing. Of like, okay, you, 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 this goes to your point as far as like they just have these scenes that make you feel something, and then maybe they don't make like uh, there's not a rationality behind them, but you, mm-hmm. but you feel it when, whenever, like, I don't know if that makes sense what he says because I'm not a car person, but like switching into like fifth gear or whatever yeah. to start it up again. <laughs> but like when he gets the car going again, like you're fucking pumped about it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and how quickly he like drifts back up onto the uh, onto the oh track, and the physics of this so movie are good. just yeah, yeah exciting on another level. I think as a gamer, like you appreciate like <laughs> <laughs> you know um, like the excitement behind physics or when something like feels right, you know. <laughs> okay, I want to keep taking this in in my half baked direction, which is um, again we don't typically think about cars as a, as like the vehicle for art, but the way that he is like working with this car is typically how you would see like an artist working with a paintbrush or like working with marble or something mm-hmm. where it's like, you have to, well, there was, there was some quote from, I, I don't know if it was like Da Vinci or just some, some or Michelangelo or some, someone who was like a famous sculptor. One of the turtles. Yeah. One of the turtles. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't even one of them. I'm so sorry. My art history is awful. I just know that there's this quote about how like, I'm not like, we're smart. I'm not like carving something into marble. I'm like freeing it from mm. like, you know, I'm, I've heard that before. I'm like yeah. tracing out the parts I, that, that was like, said don't. about the statue of David, right? I think yeah. so. I think so. It's, it's something it's in like there. That. Like there's a block of marble and yeah, inside it is the statue free of uh, type David. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Which is just, uh, a total like bullshit way to talk about art, but like in, in a way that's like inspiring. And this is how the artist probably sees how they're working with art. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is how speed talks about cars, which is, I, I I think not just relevant because um, it's, it's weird or different, but also because again, the Wachowskis 
think about speed racer like or, uh, speed racer uh think about the matrix so, like mm-hmm. it's these movies are all about how like technology moves us and how it affects us as human beings and there's this like very uh like transhumanist vibe throughout all of these mm-hmm. these works which is that that's like technology is like things that we use to like make ourselves come into our own being or like realize ourselves more yeah Yeah. and using the car as a vehicle to like express yourself via art is a very wachowski thing to me and it's something that i noticed about this movie in in this way because it's like you don't usually see that you don't usually see a racing movie that's also a movie about art um a a point i'd like to make is uh, what you hear oftentimes from uh really creative people is that they don't know how they did the thing that they did. Mm. Like, it just comes out of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when Speed gets his car back to life, he's kind of in a trance from the rest of the race on, you know, like, mm-hmm. and at the finish line, he kind of, like, wakes up out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the flashbulbs that kind of wake him up. Yeah. You know, like, he's in a trance oh, yeah, from the, like, like, you know, I, I, think, uh, I think that's what they're saying, you know, is, like, they, like, the really creative people oftentimes with their, masterwork whatever they really don't even know how it came out and the that scene like the final the final like stretch of the grand prix is still one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. or one of my favorite moments in cinema like that just i just blasting seen. past everybody that that downhill section where they're they're all on the road and he just goes so mm, fast he blasts yeah the edge, edge of it and yeah it starts at the scene where mm-hmm. he like his freaking engine basically gets ripped out Mm-hmm. and he, he's just like totally stalled in a ditch and it's like it's impossible it looks impossible for him to win from here obviously but then like his life starts flashing before his eyes <laughs> All, every single monologue and soliloquy that this movie has delivered starts replaying again yeah. it starts playing this like slow orchestral music that's like starts swelling up in the background and then like he kicks it into gear he overcomes this like impossible he needs to like really exercise his understanding of the form Mm -hmm. to like to do this thing that even like one of the greatest mechanics of this era would not have been able to like find out for themselves and he does all these things and then yeah he just his car goes faster than you've ever seen a car go in this movie (laughs) which is crazy because it already started at like the fastest you've ever seen a car go ever period (laughs) and he like the wheels are on fire and he's just like bursting past everyone everyone in the background starts cheering and they're letting go this like this like rapturous applause that's just that's also a voicing of like these anti-capitalist like rooting Mm -hmm. like everyone rooting for like against the capitalist interest that like low-key everyone has Mm -hmm. um but like they don't typically voice that because like they also want to like please the capitalist interests in their lives and everyone's just like letting that go and in this whole scene is just like this catharsis of all these things working together at once. And it doesn't even end with him just crossing the finish line. Like the finish line becomes the entire screen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck were they yeah. doing? Like, you, It's one of those things where it's like, you were, I was already like on the edge of my seat when I first saw this movie. Mm-hmm. And then they do that. And mm-hmm. it's like the sheer audacity it takes. <laughs> For them to do that yes. is just absurd. Like, yes. who does that? It's just they made this <laughs> checkered pattern take your entire field of view, and it's like psychedelic. It's yeah, it's psychedelic. psychedelic. Like, I'm wondering if uh, the Wachowskis are saying something about the uh, how drugs 
can be involved in the creative <laughs> process. Like, uh, think of uh, Chim Chim and Spritel when they uh, get into the candy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they get into the candy and then they go on like a trance like uh, race through the factory. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, another funny, it's kind of like a obser- uh, stray observation, but um, they actually paid for about 20 seconds of Freebird. Like during that sequence, the the race through the yeah. factory, like they yeah. play, like they literally play Freebird, yeah, like, like a weird like twenty second segment of it. So I don't know. I think maybe that connecting some dots here, that might be a yeah. little, uh, statement. The reason I found this movie is because my cousin uh, told me it's the perfect movie to watch yeah. on mushrooms. I mean, it like, feels it's like the one. This is the one. <laughs> yeah, like I've never uh, played Mario Kart on LSD, but I'm pretty sure it would this be This is like what it feels like. Racer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like this movie's kind of lived two lives. I mean, I think it was panned when it first came out, and now in my research, it, everything you see on it is in defense of this movie. Uh, yeah. Some people call it the best movie of like the last decade or has been no we haven't been past a decade right a little bit more oh yeah we have huh yeah 2018 was a decade (laughs) okay so some people call it the movie the best movie of the last two decades (laughs) (laughs) of its decade no because uh anyway yeah i mean like people are standing up for this movie it's living another life um a common criticism that i do see though is that um there is anti-capitalist sentiment running throughout this movie, like undoubtedly we've been talking about this for the last however many minutes, but the criticism is that like this movie is the product of capitalism. Like it's a, it's the product of, of, of a big system, which is an argument I don't completely buy because I mean, they're doing everything they can to just like fuck with every sensibility that anyone has about how movies should be made. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all, it's also just like the, the core, like, Oh, and y- Oh, you you criticize society and yet you participate in it, <laughs> right. yeah. which is I mean I don't I don't know. Would you rather have them make a movie that doesn't criticize capitalism? Like yeah, and I just yeah. because a movie criticizes capitalism and is like about uh and and uses that as one of its themes yeah does not mean that that I I think this is another thing about criticism that like people that is kind of it hurts the actual act of criticizing something, which is that like, just because you say that a work is anti-capitalist doesn't mean that that's like the only defining thing about this thing. Yeah. Like, especially not the case in this movie. I don't think. And granted, this is coming from a person who just talked about why the anti-capitalist streak that runs through speed racer is important. Mm -hmm. That's also to say that like, that's not all that this movie is about. Like that is one tool in, in the movie's toolkit that, the Wachowskis are using to convey these, these feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Like in, in a sense, like the movie is quote about that, mm-hmm. but like, it's about a, bu- a bunch of different things. Yeah. And um, family, it's about family. I think, I mean, a lot of it yeah. is about family. I yeah. mean, there's a through line about family. There's a, a through line for about love, about what you do, which could uh, be made into an analog about the Wachowskis love for movies and the way that they approach movies, you know, in a style that's against, anyone's sensibilities about the way movies should be made, like I just said, um, which is like, you know, the way Speed Racer approaches racing, you can say like, you know, maybe the Wachowskis see themselves as a speed racer of the movie industry, you know? I think that's, I actually think that that's, that is like partially what's happening here. Yeah. Like I think that they see themselves in this character because, I mean, I mean, you make a movie about what you know and mm-hmm. they probably knew that. And yeah, I, again, 
it's one it's one of those things where it's just like just because there are capitalist capitalism themes in the movie doesn't mean that's just like all that that's happening here yeah I mean, there's a there's a warmth to it. Like I said, family uh, is a big through line in this movie, and I'm cons- like I'm kind of I was kind of taken aback about just the earnestness of the performances. Like you said, Susan Sarandon, John Goodman. I mean, they're putting work here. They're great. I mean, everyone yeah. is taking the roles very seriously, which sells the movie to a you know to a certain extent. And that's what a part that I did love about this movie. And I think especially the conversation between John Goodman and Speed Racer. Or pop in speed racer um when speed racer always speeds about to leave the house oh yeah and he yeah, yeah. he does it a little differently this time exactly you know, yeah with, with rex he was like if you walk out that door you know don't ever come back yeah you which know. is like a, an emotionally stirring movie yeah. like uh he has this whole argument like, like he changes his approach speed understands it and i would thought it was just like such a beautiful thing where he says if you, you want to come back the door's open right. like and what's so poignant is um like he like speed knows he's probably going to get like banished or you know like he, yeah because when spritel comes into the room he's like don't go and he's like you'll understand when it's your turn yeah because um like rex went through it speed's doing it and mm-hmm. then um, you know, once bridal comes of age, yeah. he thinks he's and I only have the same coming of age. I bring this up because if you want to make the argument that this movie has no heart, I mean, the heart's all right there in that mm-hmm. scene. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, uh, just to make a, another point about John Goodman's performance, like when he's watching, uh, speed about to break Rex's record, mm-hmm. um, and he has the flashback where he's basically sending Rex out. And when it snaps back to his close up, he's like, it shocks him, you know, mm-hmm. like him yeah. having that memory, like shocks him. He's like, Oh my God. Like you can Susan see like Sarandon has that too. And yeah. it's like the transition is his reaction to this memory. Mm-hmm. That's literally what transitions the scene back into the present day. Yeah. yeah. Which is just, it works and it works so well. Cause like they're conveying so much with those faces and those reactions and that, those sequences. God, that, that those parts are so good. And mm-hmm. like the, the John Goodman scene that your sequence that you're talking about, like that also stood out to me this time where I was like, this is this is quality shit because it's not just about like yeah. this come come to Jesus moment that mm-hmm. Speed's having with his dad, but it's just like a parent acknowledging that they did something wrong. Yes, or, or that they made a mistake, which in the is past. powerful shit. And yeah. it's like <laughs> that, that haunts him. You know, mm-hmm. like oh man, it reminds yeah. me of the the end of like Call Me by Your Name. Yeah, that kind of it's like that energy. You know? Oh, man. Yeah. I just watched that. That was so good for the first time. That's a great movie. Yeah. I mean, we had... <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. In our last episode, we just talked about, like, movies. We just talk about so many movies with daddy issues and that, how that's such, like, a fucking theme in American cinema. Yeah. It's just... <laughs> yeah. We, we're not quite sure yeah. if, like, we are cherry-picking all of the movies with daddy issues or if or it's just broadly... Just like, yeah. Right. America's got daddy issues, which, yeah. yes, we all have. Like, living in a patriarchal society, we got daddy issues, dude. Um, um, I also so, like, uh, sorry, real quick, like another yeah. note on, uh, John Goodman. Um, I love his, uh, I love his comic relief, particularly the scene where he's fighting the ninja. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. that scene where like he like gets the ninja in a headlock and the ninja sees that he's got like a Greco Roman wrestling ring. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. And then he starts spinning him up over his head and it's terrible what passes for a ninja these days. And those see the fight scenes in this movie are so like them just flexing their matrix muscle. Mm -hmm. It's just like a lot of those fight scenes are like 
still really good. Yeah. It looks like something you would have seen in the matrix, but with like some physical humor in there too. As silly as this might sound, I think the cartoonishness is something that I dislike about this. I think this is what doesn't land with me because there's earnestness in a lot of the performances, but when the performances aren't as earnest, like the villains, I think like the guy with the big, like mutton chops or I don't know, like uh, some, Oh yeah. The guy who loses his finger to the piranhas. Yes. There is a cartoonishness to some of the characters and I will, I, I guess like it would have played better for me if like they like everyone had just like taken it as seriously as like John Goodman or like Emil Hirsch is taking this role very seriously I think mm-hmm. you know it's like very it's, brooding and then this is like back in the day when kids weren't good at like when it was cool for kids to not be good at acting yeah you know like that all like, that's do you think he's recently. a bad actor <laughs> the kid just the kid who plays, plays speed is is bad oh yeah Emil um, Hirsch no, no, the child. Oh, the, oh, child's oh, the child version. Of yeah. Speed. yeah. Oh, yeah, he's bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I Honestly, I'm going to tell you right now, like, I totally agree about the cartoonishness. Like, I don't, none of that stuff really worked for me at the time either. Yeah, which is, like, s- silly to say in a movie that's, like, so overtly cartoonish, but there's a juxtaposition happening between the performances and what you're seeing in the backgrounds and the surroundings and the environments. It's not, yeah, the problem isn't that it's cartoonish, it's that it's corny. Like, it, it goes into corny territory. Yeah. Like a little bit, quite a bit more often than you would hope. <laughs> yeah, like um, like a couple of lines from Racer X come to mind. It's like, you don't get into a race car to drive. You go into a race car because you're driven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are just or, uh, like platitudes. It doesn't, that have just it doesn't no... matter if yeah. you change racing. Yeah, what matters is if racing changes you. <laughs> the only reason a... why those lines work for me, and they don't, they actually don't, they actually don't work for me as far as like writing is concerned. Because every time he says it, I'm like, God, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. But uh, Matthew Fox, his like, I just want to hear him talk for mm. like three hours straight. <laughs> he just has that like voice and that face where you're just like, all right, like. Hell yeah, dude! Like, it's like when Paul Rudd is on screen. And oh just, yeah, or like Mark Ruffalo or something. Paul Rudd, like, buy Mark Ruffalo, buy. It's like yeah. Like, I think Matthew Fox going, I don't buy because he is my least favorite character from Lost. <laughs> Maybe not least, so, but he's yeah. he's down. I never there. watched Lost. I, I was Team Sawyer. I don't have that uh, that context. So <laughs> oh man. Okay, I want to talk about this movie from one other big angle here, which is like another thing. Yeah. Um, which is that I. I also am really into pop music. Yeah. And I've written about K-pop before. Yeah, that's another thing that you do. Yes, that's another thing that I do. Mm-hmm. I have written about Korean pop music mm-hmm. for publications before. Mm-hmm. And one thing, like, do you, are you guys familiar with like the pop, popism, poptimism versus rockism conversation? No, I can't all? say that Not I am. Really. So it's this like, when you talk to a music critic about it, they would kind of roll their eyes because it's like an old conversation or whatever. But I think it's uh-huh. really one of the most significant um, conversations that we've had about like pop and rock in the past like few decades. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is like from I want to say like 2004 or something like that. Uh-huh. And the whole conversation is about how you have this like this perspective that rock is the elite genre of music. It is like. especially in the U S we have this perspective that like rock, good, everything else, bad, Mm. specifically pop, right? It's, it's seen as like this low form of art, um, which you had this poptimism conversation that was like, well, how come like a disco song can't be just as effective or just as good 
yeah. as a rock song. Like, yes. How come, because like Led Zeppelin is using guitars and they do like, you know, these intricate improvised solos or whatever. Why is that inherently better than a song that like makes you want to get up and dance and is like really, really fucking good at that <laughs> and just like makes you feel good inside. Mm. It's like this whole concept of like the guilty pleasure, mm-hmm. this, these things that are like, pressing you like your baser appealing to your like quote baser instincts as it were yeah which is like a weird thing to talk about when we talk about like rock and pop as no i don't think so right. i think that goes hand in hand like i don't think it's weird to bring that up or to correlate the two no i i, I just think that it's like that it's it's a weird reflex that we have to do that i don't think but that to it's reject like, it i don't think it's unusual to see because yeah. like a lot of people do it yeah but i think that like that impulse if you really interrogated yeah. is strange. Oh yeah. I think it's completely strange. I think this is what I was talking about when I'm saying like people uh, just innately rejecting feeling good. Like when I, when I talk about musicals, when I talk about this movie, um, it's, it's this weird reaction to, to almost like good feelings, like optimism or something like that. Like yeah. maybe you're talking about like, I don't know why so many people hate on musicals. I mean, I, I did too. My fiance just introduced me to musicals and I am all about it, dude. It's just like a heightened motion <laughs> on another level. Yeah. It seems um, like people some sometimes do a, uh, make a, make a judgment about whether or not they would be, um, Look down on for liking yes. it. For, it's a, it's you know, it's so it's in the same vein as not liking country music. I don't know yeah. how about how you feel how you two feel about country music, but I I buy into it. Nothing against it. So that's like that's the whole thing is that like these tropes and these conversations come from places where you have like one group of people that's in charge of things. Like uh-huh. who would have thought mm. that rock would be seen as the predominant like. <laughs> The, the best form of art in an era where white guys controlled the message behind like everything yeah. in popular culture. Yeah. Like when every critic is like a white dude in writing for Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. how is rock the genre that is like mostly being made by like white dudes see a, a being seen as like the best music. It's like, what are the odds that like the people who look just like us are the ones that we see as making the best music right now? <laughs> you know, like did nobody ever interrogate that impulse that people had at this time? Yeah. And okay. So there has been a response to that since then, which is that like you have, you know, pitchfork responded like they, they, w- they gave Justin Timberlake, a Justin Timberlake album, like album of the year. Mm-hmm. And he started seeing artists like Taylor Swift start getting like seriously reviewed in yeah. publications. And Carly Rae Jepsen became like an indie darling, yeah. even though she makes like unapologetic pop music. Mm-hmm. Um, and my whole philosophy when it comes to this is that like, uh, it's, there's this, like I was watching this Quincy Jones documentary and like one mm-hmm. of his quotes is like, there's only two kinds of music, good music and the other kind. <laughs> which is just like that's exactly what it is man mm-hmm. don't don't worry about if it's pop don't worry about if it's rock those things I, I will actually say like it can be helpful to have those as tools mm-hmm. for like talking about things yeah and like giving you a point of reference yeah and acknowledging the culture that these things came from but it should not like totally shape the way that you see this in- entire genre of thing yeah because you need to 
also you need to like acknowledge what this thing is making you feel regardless of how it's doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's the thing is that like people worry, they have this preconceived notion about like how a thing should behave when it's trying to make you feel good. Yeah. They should, they have this preconceived notion about how this thing should behave in order to be of a higher brow than something else. Yes. It's why like when you see like Jackson Paul, people are like, oh, I could do that. You know, it's like, <laughs> but you fucking did it. Yeah. Okay. Or like when you hear a, a Britney Spears song that like you're singing to yourself in the shower and then you hear it on the radio and you're like, this is total trash music. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it, it makes you feel a, a certain type of way. It, it's really effective. Yeah, definitely. But I think we're coming to a point in culture, pop culture, where high is meeting low. Um and people have more access to what an aesthetic is. And in a certain way, it kind of like homogenizes what art is like now. You know what I mean? Um, like anyone can be a photographer now. Like that's what Instagram is like. And, and like, I love it. I love like the thought of art being democratic and accessible, but also I have like this terrible feeling that it's just like lowering the expectations and the quality and as a side note, I saw this meme that, <laughs> unrelated, but I saw this meme that said, like, the biggest lie boomers ever told us is that disco sucks, and I wholeheartedly agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, this essay that uh, about K-pop that is about, like, disco as, like, a, a vehicle for pleasure, uh-huh. and that doesn't apologize for itself, and, like, K-pop as being another thing. Yeah. It's a really great essay, like, I would love to send it to you at some point. It's like one of the best essays that I've read on the subject. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, and it was like published on a blog like years and years ago. Mm-hmm. But this is this is what Speed Racer is also about to me, where it's about this friction between highbrow and lowbrow taste. It's mm-hmm. about like making us feel things using methods that are not viewed as inherently valuable or valid. Mm-hmm. And bringing those things into question. And I think that's why it can be a challenging movie. Um, That's not to say that like you just don't get it if you don't like it, because if it doesn't make you feel those things, then it does. It doesn't really matter. You Mm -hmm. know, like, and, and and do you think like the critical response like validates that theory that like, since it wasn't received well, it, it, it supports the notion that people are, we're afraid of being judged to like something that would just, that is just impulsively like good, like makes you feel impulsively good, you know? Yeah. I mean, so I feel like if you were to ask the Wachowskis, like no artist would say like, yeah, we, we made this movie this way cause we knew the critics were going to talk shit. And that's why, <laughs> this. you know, like yeah. every artist is always like, I don't care what the critics think. You yeah. know, that's like the first thing that they would say. Yeah. Um, But at the the same time, like what I do think is that I think that this is one of those movies where they just really didn't care what people were going to say about it, what the critics were going to say. They were doing what they loved doing and they knew that people would appreciate that. It all came out the way that they expected or that I suspect that the way that they expected it to turn out um, didn't have a very great reception in the box office. Yeah was not very popular of a film. Yeah. It's taken on a kind of cult classic status. It mm. definitely um, has, yeah. It's not yeah. seen A lot as of like, defenders on the internet. Now. Hell yeah. <laughs> Last decade. It's not some, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's not like a children's classic. It's not like The Sandlot or something like that. Uh, it's just, 
it's just a movie that exists and some people really like it. And yeah, um, I think the point was, is that they're really into the idea of aesthetics and Lana Wachowski in my research, I noticed that she talks a lot about the importance of aesthetics and the under appreciation of aesthetics. Um, I understand this point because I think I tend to actual uh, intellectualize everything from like, I don't know, like uh, I have a, like a really literary centric mind where I just want to like break apart like uh, uh, themes and and dialogue and what's being said and uh, messaging and plot and stuff like that. Lana just says that everyone just like overlooks the importance of aesthetics and mm-hmm. the, I mean, it was a pretty cool example. The example that she gave is that in the same month, in the same year, um, Snow White and the Huntsman came out and Moonrise Kingdom came out and they're the same movie that they they're the exact same movie like the same things happen sometimes the same sequences happen and what's the difference and the power yeah the power yeah. of aesthetics like aesthetics are so important and powerful that you can't even see through them and this is yeah you can't see that they're the same movie exactly yeah. and this is what i was considering like i think aesthetically this movie is important i think it's powerful i think it's potent i think um this is why i will be thinking about this movie for a minute but I mean, like, yes, of course, aesthetics are important, important. And I think uh, what Lana says, like, nobody thinks about symbols anymore. Like, when you talk about criticism, nobody talks about symbols anymore. And, like, you know, many times in art, like, uh, you know, you have symbols and they mean something else. And nobody just, like, goes for that, you yeah. know, uh, the, the, the strictly visual aspects. And, like, uh, Josh, I'm sure this is, like, something you think about when you think about video games is aesthetics versus, like, uh, some kind of... Uh, substance and, and, and story and character what are your thoughts about this um how important are aesthetics and do you think you can have an uh an experience that is purely aesthetic and just as satisfying as something that has like uh you know fully baked characters and i mean like an intricate plot or you know all those other things that just aren't related to aesthetics i think it's just like part of it is that we see symbols in a very rudimentary, we have this very rudimentary image of what symbols are in Mm -hmm. our brains because like we're taught that, you know, this apple stands for sin, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know, or like this color stands for anger, Mm -hmm. which is not like how symbols in art actually work. Right. Like even if red, the color red is supposed to stand for like hunger or, you know, this burning desire or what, yeah. whatever it is, like, that's not, when you put it into words, like you're totally diminishing what's actually happened, like happening. It's like, I don't see symbols as like representing a concrete emotion. Yeah. It's, I see it as a vehicle for making to you elicit, feel yeah. that thing. Yeah. For that, that's how I see symbols and themes in work, right? Mm -hmm. Which is to say that it's not just color that they use as symbols. Mm -hmm. In Speed Racer, I think some of the dialogue is symbols. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, to to make a um, a point on that, so um, there's there's like a subtle, I think, uh, uh, symbol with uh, Young Speed when he sees Trixie crashes into the rose bushes, Mm -hmm. and then later in the movie when they're together at inspiration point, yeah, Mm -hmm. um, it's like a a huge hedge of rose bushes behind the Mach Five, and Mm -hmm. and she's wearing this bright red dress. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like um, that. I think that's very intentional, like that that uh, um, that symbolism, that that aesthetic. Yeah, symbolic compassion. Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's the whole. This is like what I'm talking about, right? Is that like when you? So we were, we were talking about 
Racer X's stupid platitudes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think when he says a sentence, it's not, you're not supposed to like listen to what he's saying and like believe what he says. Like yeah. the content of what he says matters less than how those words hit your brain and make you like, it's, it's a style thing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a, a aesthetic dialogue. It's look at it as like scene setting, you know, that it doesn't have to have a quote meaning as long as it's making you feel like what? Okay. Let's talk about a good song. Right. So, so he, could he have said like anything as long as it was like with that like intonation? He did and say anything. He kind yeah. of did. Say <laughs> just anything. Yeah. It's like it matters what racing <laughs> yeah. does for you. Like what the fuck? As it long as he said it with anything. that glint in his eyes and the emotion, it doesn't make and, any sense. When and it's like when in Rome. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, when in the, whether that works on you or not is mm-hmm. the, a very important question here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, it works on me because I'm at this point of like suspending my sense of like caring about this shit where I'm like so far removed. When a character says something like that, yeah. And it, I know, I, I immediately register it as being a total hollow platitude and not having any quote meaning whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still like, Oh God, this, this is perfect. I'm feeling the thing. Like it, it I'm feeling made, the thing. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I want to, okay, let me ask you a question. What is Don't Stop Till You Get Enough about? What is that song about? <laughs> oh, I honestly never thought about it. Uh, fuck, dude. Um, I mean, it's just about like getting off. It's, a, <laughs> it's about not stopping till you get enough. Yeah. Mm. No, no, no. The real point of what I'm trying to say is like, it doesn't matter what that song is about. Yeah. Because the the words are there. They don't really make sense. But the, the way that they fit in the context of the song and the way that the song is produced and the way that the vocals are delivered yeah. and the way that all the instruments play together at the same time in like perfect rhythm and harmony. Yeah. It makes you believe <laughs> it. It makes you buy into this thing. And it makes you forget like, about anything involved that has to do with any of this. And that's what's that's what poptimism is about to me, where it's about like, stop asking what this thing is about. Stop asking like mm-hmm. how long did it take you to learn the instrument? Yeah. And how like what are your chops like? Yeah. What are you know, these are all questions that are irrelevant when all that matters is whether the thing like works and how well it does that for you, you know? Yeah. And that's what Speed Racer is to me, where it's just like, it's an exercise in just trying to accomplish that using anime as a vehicle. And to come back to anime here again, one of the reasons why I like watching anime is because, (laughs) and I, sorry, sorry for talking about anime. No, this is great. Context of a movie that is based on anime. But um, it's because like, I just like, sometimes I like looking at pretty images. Yeah. Animation is beautiful like if you watching things that people drew like they look very good Mm -hmm. people forget forget this simple thing which is that like when someone draws an image often it look like it has an interesting visual style or it looks pretty or it looks Mm -hmm. like aesthetically pleasing or as it's accomplishing something that you've never seen uh portrayed visually before yeah by its nature that's what makes it so amazing The, the fact that the possibilities are basically limitless and that the thing that you're looking at, it's all intentionality. It's all exactly what you're supposed to be looking at. Right. Exactly. And like it, ha- 
that being said, like it has its shortcomings too, which is that like you don't have real people in the scene. So you're not like watching, you can't like live vicariously the way that you might with Susan Sarandon or John Goodman or Meryl Streep or whoever's in this movie. Uh, or, or whoever's in any movie, I should say, because obviously Meryl Streep's <laughs> not in this movie. I was using her as, as an example, but um, she played the monkey. <laughs> she, 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 no animals were harmed in this film. Just one Meryl Streep. Um, no, but like I think that philosophy of like just giving you something to look at that is like lush and that there's just like a lot going on Mm -hmm. and that gives you a lot of shit to look like and to look at. And then also adding the human element of like John Goodman and Susan Sarandon and these like really poignant family sequences. Those things are working together in tandem to deliver that like final grand prix sequence, right? Like these things are all working together and they're they're using these style. They're using these stylistic tenets they're using these formal experiments that they're doing with the the focus and um all all of the things that they've taken from anime and they're putting those things together to make something not just new but something that like does a good job of evoking these feelings that they want you to feel and for me it really works for me it it it's like a pop song yeah and that's why i i like speed racer do you believe in like the purely aesthetic experience I want to make this connection because you do a podcast about video games, but there's like, is there a video game that you play strictly for the aesthetic experience? Aesthetic experience is, I think, a little bit of a misnomer for what I'm talking about because it's not necessarily about aesthetics. It's about like the feel. It's about the... Oh, like a visceral experience. Yeah, it's about like how your body interacts with it, how your body responds to this thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I think the the common thread between this and video games and a lot of other media that in in a way that like a lot of people refuse to acknowledge uh, or just fail to acknowledge, I guess they don't, people don't refuse to acknowledge, but like a lot of this stuff is just like whether it makes, how it makes you feel, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about this thing on our podcast a lot, which is like, game feel or like shoot feel or like <laughs> gun feel oh, yeah. which is like when you press a button mm-hmm. does the does it feel good does the input feel yeah. good yeah like there are entire things used to describe this phenomenon and this sensation like yeah. there's this developer uh called vlampir who makes these games where when you like fire a gun it there's these they're these silly like gives you an orgasm 2d side scrolling <laughs> games <laughs> well sort of well it's like they have this thing it's called screen shake which is what it, exactly what it sounds yeah. like you fire a gun you punch something this whole screen shakes yeah but when you do it it like you feel the impact and it like just the act of playing this game mm-hmm. is is compelling in and of itself because it's it's a sensation that surrounds it. That's what I liked about this movie, Speed Racer, because the way the cars move and the kind of, like, the cars are fighting, you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Um, it reminds me of maybe what I would have done with cars as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, that kind of, like, a freedom to, like, oh, yeah, these cars can do it. And this is funny that it worked in, it worked in this movie for me at least, but I don't know if you watched The Last Fast and the Furious, but they do something kind of similar where oh, he drives right. off the cliff and he uses a rope, the car uses a rope to, to swing from one cliff to the other. And, like, oh all, God, yeah. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, the rope is, like, hanging from a helicopter. Uh, he drives his car toward the rope. The rope wraps around, like, the axle of the car, and they use it to swing from one cliff to the other, which is... Basically the same concept that cars are capable of doing things that cars aren't capable of doing in reality. <laughs> um, but 
I don't know the broader point I'm trying to make, but, no, but it's really, yeah. but it, it, it's this thing of like letting loose to like uh, there is a childishness to it, but the the fact that um, they made the cars move this way and it's the fill of the cars, it's the physics of the cars, and that's what I was talking about earlier when you talk about gaming physics. Um, I think that's important to a game. Like the way a game feels is like very important. And yeah. I, my, my gaming experience is like probably more limited than yours, but I did grow up a gamer for sure. And I think this is why like Halo and COD are so successful because of the physics. Like there's like a heaviness to the Halo characters and the way like the, the rate of fire that just like felt right. And, um, or like in like you know in like the new or not new because it's fucking years old now but the God God of War everyone was talking about like the thuck when the, when, right, when your when your right. hammer returns to you yeah. you know what I mean one thing also like another reference that a lot of people would get I think yeah. is Candy Crush yeah um, yeah where it's like you drag this piece of candy and it's like got these perfectly rounded edges and it's yeah. like smooth on the outside when you get a combo and it just so a cascade of yeah. candy yeah. yeah yeah that's like that's game feel right there that's mm -hmm. exactly what i'm talking about and it's that it's the sensory experience of this thing yeah. yeah where it's like you don't have to think about it you don't have to question it you just kind of go with it and accept it for what it is yeah and just once you let go and acknowledge that like what it's doing works and you stop thinking about like all the other extraneous shit behind it mm -hmm. it's like everything fades away and it just it's just good just let it do its thing man like yeah it's it's like don't stop so you get enough <laughs> don't, don't think about the <laughs> word ask me a question which is is it good is speed racer good <laughs> and it's like that's not is a sunset good. Yeah. I, well, a, <laughs> that's, but that's like just not how I, I don't think that like thinking about art that way is like, that's just not a question that I really think is anything anybody could ever answer. Yeah. yeah. Not just because like, it's something that like everyone is going to have a different idea about, yeah. but also because it's like, I don't know. I don't know if it's good. Yeah. Like there's some things that I like that are bad. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. like straight up, like I'll, I'll be like, I love this movie, but this is a fucking awful movie, but yeah. I loved it yeah. because it, it like, it made me feel a way that like I am predisposed to enjoying. Yeah. Mm, I a hundred percent agree with it. It was a slight provocation when I asked you if it was good. Cause I'm the same way. I will like what I like, regardless of what like anybody thinks well, about it. And that's how it should work. Like yeah. that's how, that's how you, sh everyone should view art. Yeah. And criticism, for that matter. Mm -hmm. Like, people think, like, when someone has a bad opinion of a of a movie or something like that, like, mm -hmm. that, that's a be-all, end-all. Yeah. The critic themselves would tell you, like, it's literally just what I thought about this thing. Like, if you had a different opinion, like, that's totally valid. Yeah. But it just, like, upsets people that someone has... It, it feels like an attack on you personally, I think, when the ways that we like thing and the things and the reasons for which we like things are deeply tied into like our personal experiences, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, if I grew up watching anime and Wachowski movies and action and colorful things and pop music and was really used to sus suspending my disbelief for the sake of like enjoying the experience, yeah, I'm going to get more out of Speed Racer yeah. than someone who didn't have those experiences. So at the, at the same time, it's like everyone can take different things out of it and that's fine. But where I draw the line for myself personally is that, like, I would like to be a person who is able to appreciate more things. Mm -hmm. You know, like, 
if someone really sees something in something and I didn't see that in that yeah. thing, I see it as like, man, I wish I, I wish I felt that way about this thing. Definitely. I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit of this uh, from this conversation a little bit. <laughs> no, I definitely feel that way. Like yeah. my, I think my mentality is like, if I don't like it, it's just like, oh, I'm just not ready for it yet or something. Mm, like, yeah. if, you know, I mean, to yeah. me, like it's, it's Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, wow. You feel like, like you missed out. Like, on, I don't know. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. But in but my mind, I'm going to get it. I'm going to yeah. get it at some point. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this happens with me with movies all the time. You know, like, uh, like, I don't know if you guys watch a lot of old movies. I mean, Bresson, Bresson, people talk about Bresson, like he's one of the masters and I don't get it. But in my mind, like it's, it's shelf for later. Like yeah. at one point in my life, I'm going to get this. Yeah. And several things in my life that I love now, have been like that like yeah eventually i'll love that i mean one thing bloodborne like mm-hmm. everyone told me i was gonna love bloodborne didn't love it and now i love it you know mm-hmm. and i just like i don't know maybe you're just not ready for it maybe you just can't access it from your angle but it's all it's all because like at a certain point in our lives our, our at any given point we're like holding this headspace you know and i mean you have your frame of reference and set everything like that and i don't know some things just like cannot break through that for you and i get that you know um you know, we're inaccessible at points, which yeah. is fine. Yeah. I, I also feel like I'm dangerously nearing the territory where I'm not going to enjoy speed racer. Like I used to, soon. <laughs> cause this was like this, we were getting there on this viewing Yeah, where I was like, I think that the, the capitalist stuff and a lot of the context that I have, you know, more than 10 years out now yeah. really helped me to just see the vision of this thing and how like it kind of, crossed over yeah uh, even though a lot of the excitement that was the original reason why i like the movie is kind of faded mm-hmm. um but yeah who knows like who knows what it'll be next like for me i'm in this very pop oriented thing right now where it's just like it's this escapist mentality that i have with a lot of art where i'm just yeah. like i want something that just lets me kind of ditch whatever it is I'm doing and just appreciate something for what it is. Yeah. Um, but again, like that's, I think that's kind of like the irony of like, of thinking critically about this type of thing, because we're, we're talking about picking apart the meaning of things that don't care about meaning. Yeah. Right. Which is, which makes it difficult. And I think that's why you have fewer people who talk about video games at this level and who talk about like this kind of art like this, mm-hmm. especially like think about pop music. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that like you can't have these conversations about like what I'm really interested in is how is it achieving this? Like mm-hmm. why do these things work? And yeah. that's why I sent you this, that article about form mm-hmm. is because there is a lot of thought that goes into making you feel the way that you feel the sensations that the movie is giving you. And just because like it's using things that are considered lowbrow, like really vivid colors, like turning the saturation up to a million yeah, and like never stopping these sequences and giving you cheesy humor doesn't mean that it's like less valuable because the, the influence, the, the artistry, the, inventiveness that went into this is you know when you look at it is at the top of its class like there's really not much out out there that can can be a parallel to what this movie is doing on those fronts completely agree with that so um yeah I, i think 
it's like just because on the surface it's it it's hard for us to extract meaning for, from it and the intention is not for us to like feel something very specific because it said these very like specific messages that are really well written or what have you mm-hmm. doesn't mean that there's not that work didn't go into it it's just in a place where you can't see it yeah and i think maybe it gets unnecessarily shut on because i mean they made the matrix I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, that's something on a, a, a different level. I mean, I think that's many of people's favorite movies. Me and Patrick have talked yeah. about how it's like yeah. just one of our favorite movies, and it's just like so tight and so serious. And I don't and know. the Matrix has a interesting juxtaposition to this too. And yeah, and I think uh, I want to fold in like the evolution of video games into this too, mm-hmm. like how how you're talking about game feel, how like every new iteration of like a, a shooter, it, they're they're really intentionally going for something that is like gratifying to the senses when you play it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if if you just think of like the trajectory of like doom way back in the day and, Mm -hmm. and then golden eye, and then you've got the more modern uh, shooters or whatever, like destiny or uh, something like that. It's clear, like the newer ones, they are intentionally going for something that is more gratifying to the senses. Um, And you can make the same argument for music and, uh, all these different um, um, forms of media that we consume, like, are we going? Like, is Speed Racer on the on that trajectory toward just like sensory maximizing sensory gratification? And is the Matrix at the end of that like, trajectory? <laughs> like, are we? You know what I mean? It's like we're we're uh, we're getting really good at maximizing like maximizing that that sensory gratification and. Uh, like I'm thinking of when I saw uh, Endgame, Avengers mm-hmm. Endgame in theaters, I was like sensory overload. You know, it was just like hitting me yeah. for three hours solid. In that respect, I think I feel like we've been pushed over the edge. I feel like mm-hmm. every Marvel movie we see is the same now. I'm not excited about it. Uh, and when I was watching this, I was like, I wish more directors would just like go head on into what this is doing, like full CG. You know, yeah. like um, I watched uh, that Marvel show, What If, and I was like this is better than a Marvel movie because like it's animation. Like they yeah. can do whatever they want. Yeah. And like, this is fucking exciting and dynamic and like everything's big and it's like not stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yes. I think the, maybe like the hope of what they're like, what you're saying, like maybe we're headed in this direction after they made this. I think, no, maybe not because everybody ignored this movie. Um, I think we could have been heading this in direction. I wish we were because I think it is exciting. And I think there's like even more possibilities in this realm, I think that like uh, things can be done in the way that Speed Racer has been done and be fucking amazing and masterpieces. I don't think this movie is yeah. a masterpiece, but I think it's doing things that people should probably pay attention to now. Like I wish like oh, there would be a Marvel movie that would be like fucking 100% CG <laughs> except for the actors. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I would so much more appreciate that than like a final battle scene that just like has doesn't like cohere with the rest of the movie because it's just like so much more fake than what we've been watching throughout this, you know, two hour experience. Right. Right. Also when we talk about the quote sensory experience, like we're not just talking about the amount of things on a screen. Right. Like, Uh and that's what I think the issue with Avengers and a lot of Marvel stuff is, is that like, there's just like the more stuff we have, the more stuff we're doing, but it doesn't, it's like, it doesn't always equal out to the sum of its parts, right? Where it's like, sometimes you have a lot of shit in a Marvel movie and it doesn't, it just feels like empty calories. Like yeah. it feels like there was nothing there. Yeah. yeah. Like I don't remember end game. Like I don't remember <laughs> things that that movie made me feel. Yeah. But like 
as a sensory, so as a sensory experience, that movie does not have much pull for me. Like I, I don't even. What was like the action scene in Endgame? I don't even remember <laughs> like what that was. But like, so I think like just because we're getting better at like making images on screen doesn't mean we're getting better at conveying emotions yeah. on screen. So like I think of a lot of action movies, right? Mm-hmm. Which action is one of those genres that's all over the place. One of the things that I, one of the movies that I had uh, initially proposed for this was Hard Boiled, which is yeah. a John Woo movie. Mm-hmm. And it's like gun Fu. Again, really, if you start thinking about like, is this realistic? Are these things that people would actually be able to do in real life? Yeah. A lot of it is like wire work. It, a lot of it is just like that kind of thing where it's like, uh, where it's like Chow Yun-Fat like sliding down the staircase banister, shooting two guns that never run out of bullets. Yes. And it's like, the dumbest thing you've ever seen, but it's also so fucking cool. I'm all about that shit. (laughs) And it's like, that's, that's what that movie makes you. That's what it wants to make you feel like this is cool. Like action can have style and it can make us like, just see this, see this character as something more than human. It's just like this heightened reality. I look at something like the French connection where it's like, that movie feels so dangerous, man. Like yeah. the car chases in that thing. Like I felt like someone was about to die. Like yeah. not just, <laughs> not just like in the movie, but like I thought someone on that set was about to yeah. perish <laughs> in the filming of this movie. Yeah. We talked about that with Terminator too. Yeah. How some of those stunts just feel so dangerous. You're like, you know, someone risked their lives to get this shit on film, but fuck is it gratifying? <laughs> it's just like, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it, it's like, even if they didn't like quote risk their lives, like the point is that it makes you feel that sense of like, there's something at stake here, yeah. which is really powerful. And like, it doesn't matter what tools you have access to, what technology you have, if it can't make you feel that thing. And I think that's one reason why speed racer is great too, is because like it has all these tools and it's actually, it uses these tools that were, very widely being experimented with at the time, which is like CG. You had all the movies that were like trying to be on, like this is now just an industry standard now, mm-hmm. yeah. but they were trying to do something more with it. Like it's like a Michael Mann thing where he's trying to do stuff with digital cinema. Yeah. And he's like trying to make use of that format versus film. And he sees like the potential of this medium. And it's like, these are things that a lot of people just like kind of don't think about but that the Wachowskis were engaging with yeah. at a very deep level. And it's like forward thinking instead of being rooted in traditionalism, which, you know, a lot of like pretentious filmmakers can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But again, does it achieve the desired effect? Does it achieve an effect at all? Yeah. And for me, it, those things very specifically do. Yeah. So. I mean, that's the risk of being first. <laughs> yeah. And that's what, that's what makes a sensory experience is like whether this thing can make you feel something. You, to have a sensory experience, you need to have the thing make you feel something. So, Hell yeah. yeah. Josh, thank you so much for being on this show. Such this a pod- fun conversation. Yes. Yeah, this podcast great. would not exist without your podcast. I'm going to say that straight <laughs> up. Fucking love your podcast. Thank you. Um, where can we find you? Um, yeah, you can find us on iTunes. Where it's a, it's a podcast, so any place you find podcasts, bad end podcast. Um, we're also on YouTube. You could look up bad end podcast mm-hmm. and you'll, you'll find our podcast there. You can actually watch the video format. We like, we stream every other week. Um, we like to have guests on the show trying to get some musicians back on. We had, um, a couple months ago, like one of our biggest gets was, 
um, Cole Smith from Dive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was a good episode. Yeah. Lucas from of Storefront Church was on the show. So um, we talked about video games with these, like, these <laughs> musicians. It's like, but we, we talked about like art. We talked about like d- basically how this conversation works, where it's like we're not just talking about film, we're talking about other media and these yeah. larger cultural conversations around these things and what they mean to us. So um, thanks for having me on the show, man. Yeah, man. I was really excited about it. it. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. This has been Film Slob. The voices you heard today with myself, Sierra Gonzalez, and my friend Patrick Kelly. As always, a special thanks to our guest, Josh Galixto from Bad Hand Podcast. Give that a listen, if you will. Subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave some notes. We'd love to hear it. Not sure what we're doing next week. Took a break for the holiday, but there'll be something. You can follow us on Instagram to find out. That's at Film Slobbery, F-I-L-M-S-L-O-B-B-E-R-Y. Music you listen to now was written and recorded by Randy Flores. Sit back and enjoy it. We'll see you next time.